0: There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia of insight and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the Tragedy of Cinema's Twilight Zone.
1: There was a village built of crumbling clay and rotting wood. And it squatted ugly under a broiling sun like a sick and mangy animal wanting to die. This village had a virus shared by its people. It was the germ of squalor, of hopelessness, of a loss of faith. For the faithless, the hopeless, the misery-laden, there is time, ample time, to engage in one of the other pursuits of men. They begin to destroy themselves.
2: Hey guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone podcast. I'm your host Jimbo, and joined once again by...
0: ADZ and the Southern Layer. Once again, continuing on, uh, this is episode number two from the Southern Layer, and it's entitled Dust.
2: Yep. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's how I felt after I watched this episode. So, uh, Eric, let's not waste any time. Let's just go ahead and jump right in there. Okay.
0: This episode entitled Dust, the Twilight Zone, this is season number two. And it's episode number 12, and it was directed by Douglas Hayes, written by Rod Serling, featured music by Jerry Goldsmith, and its original air date was January the 6th, 1961, which brings us to our little segment known as... On This Day in History. All right, so On This Day, meaning January the 6th in TV and film history... In 2016, Star Wars The Force Awakens breaks the North American box office record, passing $760 million. It surpassed Avatar at that point in 2016. And you know what Avatar said? Hold my beer,
2: because (laughs) as we record this, I think it's probably already shattered that record.
0: (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. Uh, I I haven't gotten to see the new one yet. Um, so uh, that's as it pertains to film. Let's talk about TV. On this day, January 6, 1957, Elvis Presley makes his seventh and final appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. So there you go. you got a little film and a little TV history uh, as pertains to January the 6th. Um, let me talk about production costs for this episode of The Twilight Zone. It was comes in at 53000 uh eighty nine dollars and forty six cents. And when we adjust that for inflation for twenty twenty three now, we're at five hundred and twenty eight thousand six zero five and eighty-nine cents with an eight hundred and ninety-five percent increase. Jimbo, do you have any extra line items? You know I do. All right.
2: That's uh here. the dates of rehearsal was uh the twenty second and the twenty third of nineteen sixty, um uh, which would have been September. Uh, The dates of the filming, September 26th, 27th, and 28th, so it took three days of filming, which is kind of unusual for uh, Twilight Zone to go three days of filming. Uh, Script number 53 was dated August 2nd, 1960, with revised uh, pages dated September 21st, 1960. Uh, The shooting script dated September 21st, 1960. The producer and secretary had a line total of one thousand seven hundred seventy-five dollars. The director was one thousand two hundred fifty dollars. You know that directors—they're always making out like a bandit in these things.
0: They're making the bucks.
2: And the secretary, she's getting paid all kinds of stuff. I don't know what she was doing, but the story of secretary was two thousand six hundred thirty dollars. The cast, way up from last episode, six thousand six hundred twenty dollars and sixty-three cents. The unit manager and again another secretary, three hundred fifty dollars. Agents Commissions, 2500 Production Fee of $825. Legal and Accounting, $250. Below the line Charges for MGM, $35,346.20. Below the line Charges for Other was $1,542.63. And the total Production Cost was $53,089.46. All right, you want to move on to the cast and take that away? or Absolutely. All right. So here is the cast of... Dust. Um you have Thomas Gomez playing Peter Sykes. Uh you may notice him from Beneath the Planet of the Apes or Key Largo from nineteen forty eight. John Larch, who was Sheriff Koch. Uh he was in Dirty Harry where he played the chief in nineteen seventy one and Eric. He was in Airplane Two, the sequel. I know you're a big <laughs> fan of Airplane One, but what about the sequel?
0: I don't remember much about the sequel, but... uh, (laughs) Easily to forget. (laughs) Yeah. There's probably a reason for that.
2: Vladimir Sokolov. uh, He was Old Man Galagos. He was in The Magnificent Seven, where he played the old man in 1960, which we've covered way back in the early days of this podcast in Episode 7. John A. Alonzo was Louis Galagos as John Alonzo. He was in Chinatown, uh, which we have covered on this podcast. He was in The Magnificent Seven, where he played Miguel uh, for, for Chinatown he was the uh, director of photography and he was also in uh, for Star Trek's Generations movie he was the cinematographer so he had more than just acting he actually was a lot of other things as well. Paul George was John Canfield he was in Bullet in 1968. Dorothy Adams played Mrs. Canfield uh, she was in The Best Years of Her Lives in 1946 she was also in The Ten Commandments uh, the great Charles and Heston movie uh, where she played a couple of, a couple of roles in that Although they weren't very big roles, uh, you had Dwayne Gray, who was Rogers. He was in JFK in 1991, and John Lamore as the man he played in Creep Show in 1982. There's also a whole another page of uncredited actors, yeah. which we're not going to talk about for the time
0: sake. Yeah, this so. this was another episode that with a pretty well when you when you count all of the stand-ins, there was a quite a right. pretty big uh, cast uh, in this episode, just like Night of the Meek, I guess. So John Alonzo and Vladimir Zolkoff, however you pronounce his name, they both were in the Magnificent Seven from 1960. That's pretty yep. cool. And uh, what did you say that was episode number seven that yep. was covered in the uh, covered in the uh, podcast? All right, let's move on with the plot. In a dusty old western town, a man is scheduled to be hanged after uh, being found guilty of accidentally killing a child while drunk. His father begs for mercy, but the marshal has no choice but to proceed with the sentence. Sykes, an odious salesman, takes advantage of the situation by selling the desperate father magic dust. (laughs) Yeah, magic dust, which he says will make the townsfolk take pity on his son. Soon, though, events provide for an unexpected conclusion. So, we open up the episode... The, the camera sort of pans down on this weird looking horse, and I have some trivia about that horse. Oh, about the hollow backed <laughs> horse, yeah, in the foreground, which is shown many times. The hollow back horse in the foreground beside the jail had a condition of malformed vertebrae and a weakness in the soft tissue, uh, in the soft tissues that allowed the spine to sag. It was called LORDOSIS, lordosis. So that that poor horse had a condition apparently.
2: and i think uh when rod sterling's narration i think is really cool because they're testing the uh noose the, yeah. the gallows yeah and you see it drop behind him i thought
0: yeah. that was really cool yeah so that his narration comes really early in this uh particular episode so
2: eric if you had to name that horse what would you name it
0: sags <laughs> sir Sagalot? i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know bend it like hum humpback hump, hump <laughs> well actually it was a reverse humpback because it was yeah i don't know um so we meet what's his name again we meet peter sykes all right now this this little bit of trivia kind of was puzzling to me it said who was played by peter sykes was played by tom gomez So IMDB says that Tom Gomez, who played the hefty Mexican, was actually a full-blooded white European. His ancestry was from Spain, France, and Ireland. But I never got the impression that Peter Sykes was remotely Hispanic or Mexican in the episode. I just thought he was a traveling. Now he's in a predominantly, I don't know if this is on the southern border in the 19th century where this is set, like in the 1800s. But I never got the impression that he was supposed to be playing a Hispanic or a Mexican. You uh, talking I, about the salesman? Yeah, I just assumed that he was a, a, a white male, Caucasian, like it says here. His ancestry is, it says that he's actually from Spain, France, and Ireland mix. I don't know. <laughs> it was sort of, I don't he know why they really brought that up. Though. Yeah, oh yeah, a, he played a really, really sinister good. part. Uh, he was sort of the high spot in this episode. I just thought that was kind of confusing to me because I never got the impression that he was <coughs> supposed to be of right. Hispanic or Mexican descent in the episode. So I don't know why they bothered to even, you know, identify that. So I mean, did I mention this already? Maybe not. But th- this particular story had several adaptations with differing titles, and it mm-hmm. sort of got, you know, Uh, It started out, well, let me just read about what it started out as, and then it sort of got filtered down to just dust. No pun intended, filtered down to dust. In 1950, (laughs) Serling wrote a radio script entitled The Dust by Any Other Name concerning a character named... Abner Bodner, who attempts to build a chemical plant that would reduce magic dust. When <laughs> breathed, yeah, when breathed, the dust would make his mortal enemies forget their hatred. And as a result his, of his efforts, Bodner had an accident that cost him his life, proving to everyone in the town that a man who dies in his belief of peace leaves a larger mark on society. So apparently that was a radio script that Rod wrote in 1950. And then, on June 19, 1958, CBS presented an episode, again, here we are, of the Playhouse 90, and this one was entitled, A Town That Has Turned to Dust, scripted by Serling. This version told the story of a lynching of a 19-year-old Mexican boy by a mob spurred on by a young merchant whose hatred of the victim stemmed from both his wife accepting the affection of the doomed boy and from deep-rooted prejudice against Mexicans. It was also the story of the town sheriff who gives in feebly to a lynching mob, but stands firm when it comes to hanging the victim's brother after he defies the Jim Crow standards of the town. The brother is saved by the sheriff who, after killing the merchant and also is dying from the merchant's bullet, tells of the time years ago when he had led the mob in uh, in the ugly lawless murder of another man. Now, the Playhouse 90 teleplay was a rewrite of an old script entitled Aftermath. So you see there are several adaptations here where this this, uh, Twilight Zone episode actually comes from. Okay, so Aftermath, which was initially rejected by the sponsors who were afraid it was too controversial, the original story dealt with a southern segregation problem, but Sterling revised it to center around a Mexican, and the time was pushed back to the late 19th century. So I think... The origin, if I from other things that I've read and podcasts that I've listened to, um, the Emmett Till story hit Rod Sterling really hard, and he he wrote these different adaptation stories, whether it's by radio or teleplay, and it's sort of reflecting the a lot of the. Um, I guess themes of the Emmett Till story.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I won't go in and unpack all of those things. There are plenty of resources out there that you can go and learn from history about Emmett Till and all of those things. But anyway, uh, this again was just a sort of an adaptation, a lot of themes uh, surrounding those. Uh, three or four different stories that he wrote and uh, finally landed here with this episode dust and the twilight zone
2: well let me go ahead since we've uh brought up playhouse 90 multiple times there's still several more in this uh this book that brings up playhouse 90 i wanted to know what playhouse 90 was and i thought is this where you know all the people go to party like studio (laughs) 54 or, or you know club whatever uh, Playhouse 90, it was actually a TV series that ran from 1956 mm-hmm. to 1961, and mm-hmm. I did not know that. And the way it was set up is that they would do three live shows, and then the fourth show would be taped. So it would uh, relieve the pressure of having live TV over and over and over mm-hmm. and them getting burnt out. So I thought that was very interesting that a lot of the Twilight Zones uh, and the scripts, uh, they, they would take from the Playhouse 90 and reinvent them or mm-hmm. re- revamp them to the Twilight Zone, it's it's amazing that I've never heard of Playhouse 90, but you hear <laughs> of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if I go back and watch some of the Playhouse 90s, if I could draw from what Rod drew from or Buckhout or whoever and see what they went from there and come to the conclusion of where they came through with some of these episodes.
0: Yeah, and I, I know a lot of the actors as well came over from Playhouse yep. Nine, like Jack Klugman and some just to mention one. Like There were several that came over from that uh, television show to, to work on the Twilight right. Zone. Um, yeah, so, um, where are we at in the episode here where we kind of left off? Oh, I wanted to mention one thing. The little boy who talks to Lewis, we've already passed that in the episode as we're reviewing it now. The little boy that talks to Lewis through the bars of the jail window was played by Douglas Hayes Jr., who was the son of the director of Mm -hmm. this episode. So, um, I've already given the, the plot, um... This, this Peter Sykes character, though, I mean, he's a real dirtbag, right? And he is just mocking uh, the prisoner, the, the man who's been accused and tried and convicted. Um, what's his name? John Alonzo. His is, his real name, Luis uh, Gallego, in the, uh, the episode, the man who's convicted of uh, accidentally killing a young girl. Um, well, he crashes into her with a with his wagon so um the father in the story i thought played a, a really good and the sheriff as well i mean it wasn't a great episode overall and i'm kind of skipping ahead but I, I thought it was pretty well acted um the the story itself was okay but when we jump right in here the, the peter sykes character again he he stands out uh you know by far and so, it's
2: anything he could do to make a money off yeah. somebody
0: less fortunate than he is. And the father now, the father is he actually Rut? Is he a Russian actor, Vladimir Sokolov? That that's kind of interesting too. That he was of I mean, that seems like a Russian or a Ukrainian type name. That he's playing a, a Hispanic father, but I thought he played a really good role as well. And he's basically he's begging for his son's life. Right. He's begging.
2: He's like, for all mercy. make mistakes.
0: Yeah, and uh, the sheriff—I mean, you really, you really see the compassion from the sheriff. He wishes he could just, you know, at this—he doesn't have the authority, but he wants to pass, pass over him and and give this guy mercy. But you know, he doesn't really have the authority to do that because right. he's already he's already been convicted and he's already been sentenced, and so he has to carry out and do his duty and carry out this hanging. Um, just by way of superfluous trivia, uh, this episode came in about $5,500 over budget. The dates of filming were originally scheduled for October 24th, 25th, and 26th. Jimbo, you might've already mentioned that, but with rehearsal dates of the 20th and the 21st of October. And when it was decided that Douglas Hayes would, uh, would not be filming Charles Beaumont, uh, when it when it was decided that Douglas Hayes would not be filming and Charles Beaumont was unproduced, uh, acceleration in mid October the dates were pushed ahead and rescheduled according to the release uh, scheduled the release date scheduled uh, August twenty fifth nineteen sixty. This episode was originally scheduled for broadcast on March third nineteen sixty one. So it sounds like the reason why it was over budgeted was because it had to be uh, you know had to be pushed forward and it was accelerated. Um, so they had to make some changes, which cost them some money in the long run. Um, so in, in regards to the episode, Sykes, you know, he basically pulls a trick on, he, he tells Gallego's daughter, who's with her grandfather, he tells her that, give me a hundred pesos and I'll give you magic dust that will basically turn the hearts of the people who are coming out to the hanging. It's going to turn their hearts and make them sympathetic to her father and that they won't want to execute him by way of hanging. Of course, he's lying to her. And so she is told to go and give that message to her her grandfather or Papa. Yeah. And then you see this, um, scene where, you know, Sykes takes out his tobacco uh, whatever pouch out of his out of his pocket, and he dumps all the tobacco out on the ground and fills it up with just regular street dirt and calls it magic dust. Uh, there's not a whole lot with this episode, like you mentioned before. Uh, we could we could probably skip to the end. So the main twist in the episode, they are about to proceed Execute. forth with the execution and uh well you know right what the rope breaks
2: right well but it's brand new rope you know that's why uh sykes is saying he's like i don't understand this is brand new rope yeah he's like "The, the finest there is never broke never tethered tattered
0: right and so that's kind of the the major twist The the camera it's cool in a way like the camera's sort of zoomed in or focused on the papa or the grandfather and his son is being executed. You hear the noise of the the sandbags or whatever drop and you you hear the the floorboard drop out of the gallows.
2: But before they do that, is that where... uh the dad uh says wait 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 I got this magic dust and he throws it up in the air over the people and he's like look you know this magic dust you don't want to do this blah blah blah
0: you have to you have to what does he say I don't remember the exact line you must believe the dust or you yeah he says it over and over and over again it's been a while since I actually watched this one um but he basically says like you must respect the dust or whatever and uh Having a little technical error here but he basically says it over and over and over again and yeah. uh, Sykes is stunned like you know, he can't believe that the rope broke and he calls it like he says it's five strand hemp it's like some of the sturdiest rope that you can it's brand new like there's no way that it uh, you know that it should break and I can't remember what the dad says but he says it over and over and over again it's going to bug me now you cannot, he says. You cannot try to defeat the magic. You can't defeat the magic dust. That you have to in it. You know. Um, I got some things later and questions and observations that I wanted to bring up, um, but I'll wait and save those to the end. Jimbo, do you have anything out of your?
2: Well, and and basically the rope breaks and the sheriff says, "Hey, do you want us to string him up again?" And the uh, the the uh, daughter uh, that was killed's parents are like look this town suffered enough uh his this family suffered enough let's just let's just call it a day right. basically and basically they let him go so basically the dust did it actually work well or that's... was it just a change of heart now let me read this for you first in the old uh twilight zone companion by mark scott Zickry. It says, although completely, uh, competently written, Dust lost much of its dramatic punch due to the conception of the episode by director Douglas Hayes. When it came to difficult, tricky episodes, Hayes had no equal. But Dust had no trickery, it was simple, straightforward, western with a little bit of magic. Here's how Hayes conceived of the episode Dust was about a town that had sunk into the dust in effect, it had no energy. The people there were listless. They were going to allow this man to be hanged simply because it was uh, easier than not doing that. In keeping with this conception, Hayes directed all the actors, with the exception of Vladimir Sokolov, Thomas Gomez, and John Alonso, to play their roles with lethargy bordering on the Catonic. A case in point was John Large, who played the sheriff. John Large came in, and I changed him quite a bit, said Hayes, because he was written as a strong sheriff, and I played him as a sheriff who had no energy at all, who represented the listlessness of that town. It was hard for John to do because he's a man with energy. For all of its faults, Dust remains an entertaining episode thanks to the performances of Gomez and Sokolov. Both had long and distinguished film careers. Sokolov's credits include The Life of Milia Zol, Juarez, and For Whom the Bell Tolls, and knew how to milk a part for all its worth. As Sykes, in a part very different from the urban devil he portrayed in The Escape Clause, if you remember that mm-hmm. uh, from episode one. Yeah, Gomez is so uh, rotten you can almost smell him, and Sokolov as the father. Gives a performance of enormous anguish and dignity.
0: Yeah, that's very well said, and a good summary of of the the episode for sure. Um, well, so the man ultimately he is saved, and he and his uh, pop up his father embrace. He's set free by the mother and fa- really by the mother and father of the the little girl who was involved in the accident. They sort of extend to him mercy, which, you know, by law, I don't know. It's it's Western, the old West law. I'm sure he couldn't probably do that. But again, it's it's TV. And at the end of the
2: episode, Sykes over there, he goes yeah. over and things over there, he's like, "It's a new rope." I just don't understand. It's a new rope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he
0: really did play.
2: And then he does part. give the pesos back to the kids.
0: Yeah, which I didn't expect. Yeah, that was a twist, I guess. Because well, I just because ex-
2: they were all sending their
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I thought that was... And that kind of uh, brings us to the end of the episode. But just by way of questions and observations, I already talked about the hollow-backed horse. I, I just put justice or mercy question mark. Uh, I guess I have one criticism. My one criticism is that these two difficult, complex, colliding concepts cannot be solved with magic dust. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand... Uh, and I forget what other episode that happened where uh, sort of rod conflates magic with, well, they use the, I don't know if they use this exact line, but I know they use the word providence and we could go on and say divine providence. So you can't, you can't conflate those two as the same thing, I guess, magic and divine providence. And he sort of intermixes them and that's, he's, this isn't the first time he's done that he's done it in other episodes. I think it might've been the Bowley episode where the the fighter or whatever. <laughs> I think that if that one if my memory serves me but uh that's a my big one tall wish. yeah, that's my yeah, exactly. Big tall wish. That that's my one um sort of criticism that mixing the divine intervention or providence and magic was kind of a turn off for me again because I be- I believe that they're entirely two different things, but other people may not feel the same way and that's that's fine. Um However, it does raise the question in my mind, and I would extend that question to you, is um, would I be so forgiving if someone had run over my daughter, one of my daughters, and they were tragically killed? Would you? You know, I don't know. I can't answer that question. Obviously, there weren't drunk driving laws in the 19th century in the Old West. (laughs) Well, obviously there were. Well, I mean, according to this episode, there were. But it still begs the question, like, you know, would I be as merciful and forgiving as the the mom, the mother and father in this um, episode? And just because it was an accident and someone is sorry doesn't mean that restitution shouldn't be made. So, again, it comes back to that justice or mercy. I mean, obviously, if you're the one behind bars, you want mercy. Right. Um,
2: Well, here's here's another thing, too. Once the... um... (laughs) Excuse me <clears throat> once the rope broke and he fell through it's basically saying okay well we tried to kill him i can't try to kill him again what i don't understand is why didn't he go back to jail
0: yeah uh it's the, like that's kind of what i was trying to figure out earlier like it, all of a sudden it's not really up to well the way our laws are set up in the u.s is that it's not up to the people who were the victims of the crime. It's right. up to like a, a jury, or it's up to a judge right. to decide. And just because it was a failed execution, doesn't mean you get to go free. Right. And the, and the parents really that's ultimately like, that's like, they can't decide that guy's fate. It's like
2: somebody on death row. If they go to lethal and, and, and inject this, and it doesn't person, kill and them, it doesn't, and it doesn't work, they don't say, "Oh well, you're good. Let's just go ahead and let's leave right. prison. Let's well, we just schedule it another day."
0: But it's all chalked up to the magic dust, right? Right. So right. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's I the whole, the whole idea behind uh, the episode. But your your overall takeaways of it?
2: <sighs> Again, it's a western style setting, which and you don't I like don't already. Like Westerns. Uh, it's a known fact. My grandpa would be probably rolling over in his grave right now if he heard me say that because I'm not a John Wayne fan. Not a Clint Eastwood fan. I don't like any Westerns. I do like Tombstone. I thought that was a really good movie. You but didn't like
0: The Magnificent Seven?
2: It's Again, <laughs> there's only a couple that I do like. That would be another okay. one. Uh, but it's just, I don't know. There's just something about this episode that doesn't grab a hold of me and my attention like yeah. it should. I thought that Sykes played an outstanding part. He did a really good job as that traveling salesman. You hated that guy. I hated even watching it, you know what I mean. But he had a little bit of redemption at the end too. So, to me, it's just a midway episode again. Nothing outstanding, nothing terrible about it. It's just there. Yeah. So for that, it's probably a five and a half, five for me. Uh, nothing to write home about.
0: I'd to put you? it. I'd put it at about the same, about a five and a half or a six, maybe.
2: You know I cannot wait till the end of this season to see what our awards are going to be given out for. I
0: need to start. Uh, yeah, I need to start making a running list because we're getting too far along down the down the trail here.
2: <laughs> You're gonna forget and I'm some gonna stuff.
0: forget, and yeah, I need to I need to put my list together while it's fresh in my mind. But <laughs> that pretty much concludes this episode. Again, I thought again. Rod writes under the surface. There are a lot of big philosophical issues that you have to consider. Again, like the justice and the mercy, he really makes you think in that in this episode. And not that it was bad. There's no. Ma- I guess there is the twist that the rope breaks. That's the big Twilight Zone twist. But again, uh, yeah, I, I would echo your statement that it's it's just it's kind of middle of the road. It's not terrible, but it it's not. It's nothing to be remembered for yeah it's not eye of the beholder it's not on that level it's probably a five and a half or a six and it wasn't bad and it makes you think about some um some deep philosophical things but not all that great still better
2: than nick of time (laughs) yeah (laughs) well eric i think that this episode's coming to a close uh join us again next week which uh, next week's episode jumps leaps and bounds above this one. Personally, it's one of my favorites from season two so far. So stay tuned for that. So, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close. And that's a wrap.
1: And cut. It was a very small, misery laden village on the day of a hanging, and of little historical consequence. And if there's any moral to it at all, let's say that in any quest for magic, in any search for sorcery, Witchery, leisure domain, first check the human heart. For inside this deep place is a wizardry that costs far more than a few pieces of gold. Tonight's case in point in the Twilight Zone.